Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the SciBeat Podcast, where your host, award-winning author and cybercrime journalist, Deb Radcliffe, interviews hackers, coders, intelligence experts, agents, officers, cybersecurity pros, and other interesting harbingers, heroes, and warriors. These conversations are sure to get you thinking. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello, I'm Deb Radcliffe, host of SciBe. With us is Jeff Rich, new executive director of Identity Defined Security Alliance. He's here hot off of National Identity Today, day to, that was just last week. When I found out Jeff was the new director of the IDS Alliance, I was stoked because of his reputation as a cybersecurity expert and champion. To me, identity is security, and I've taken years to try to convince the identity-related vendors of that. I even had trouble getting SANS Institute to tie these together when I used to run their analyst program. It seems to have taken forever for security and identity to come together, so I asked Jeff if he can interview with me to tell us what's going on with identity to security today and why he formed this or why they formed this alliance. Welcome, Jeff. Deb, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Always good to talk to you. We go way back. So I actually wanted to start with finding out why was the IDS Alliance formed? What was its mission and what has it accomplished so far? So there, there's a couple different um, facets of that question. The first one, going back about five years, some identity providers like Optiv and Ping and some others got together and said, you know, we, we need to find a way to get our message across without just simply selling product, although clearly they want to sell what they have. But the whole concept, like you said, identity and security need to merge. So they decided to form the Identity Defined Security Alliance. And Julie Smith was a founding executive director, but over four years ago, she recently retired, giving me the opportunity for this position now. And the, the mission overall of the Identity Defined Security Alliance is to, first of all, through some education, we are a nonprofit, to raise the level of awareness around identity and security, how they interact, and how identity is really the foundation of security. And Deb, you know real well, security doesn't exist without identity management. It doesn't, but it goes beyond managing your Microsoft directories and active directories and other elements. Can you explain a little bit more in depth Sure. So let, let's talk about there There are the tools and there's a lot of great tools out there. There are a lot of tools that some people are discovering they may do without. Um, it's not necessarily a tool answer. It really boils down to finding out who's going to do what and when. If you go back to go to go to a military base 50 years ago, there was a guard posted on sentry. And the question they always asked was, who goes there? I remember that's that. Identity. Yep, that's identity. So translate that to everything we have in the systems, especially now with the existence of still some mainframes, distributed system, everything in the cloud, what we're doing in SaaS applications, everything else. It doesn't matter what sort of controls you have if you don't know who's getting in, who you're not letting in, and why, and when. So from that principle, I didn't talk about a tool at all. That principle has to exist. 
I know when I'm asked, what's the best tool for identity management? First of all, we're vendor neutral, so, so I'm not going to give that answer. But even if I had an opinion on it, it would be, what is it you're trying to protect and how valuable is it to you? And in some cases, I'll start with, and this will come out of, uh, and this came out of Identity Management Day last week, a couple of themes became very prevalent. We, by the way, had over a thousand people, over actually over 1,100 people in Identity Management Day last wow. week. So if you want to take part in the fun, mark your calendar for the second Tuesday, April 9th of, of next year. Okay. But but a couple of good themes that came out of that were that, uh, first of all, identity is, is if you want to do zero trust, even though there are seven pillars, the other six don't matter if you don't get the identity done, the identity one done right. Mm -hmm. And some of the zero trust questions we answered were, should I put zero trust in everything? And the answer unanimously was no. Even though the architecture needs to be there, figure out what's really important and, and put those controls on there. So uh, the reason I brought that one up, and we can talk about other other themes that came out of it, um, if you like, is that wherever you want to go in security, you had to start with identity. And that's really the mission of IDSA is to have the identity vendors get together with the right sort of architectures and frameworks and work together on on white papers and then get into all of the identity custodians that manage all of our identities that we as consumers give over to them. And that ecosystem, there's a level of control that needs to exist that really doesn't. And many individuals have no control over what's happening. So I have a couple of things to say to that. First of all, in IDS, um, related topic. I went to Ping Identity Summit more than 10 years ago as the chief of the SANS Analyst Program. And I kept saying, you guys have a security play here. And it's interesting because I couldn't get any of those vendors that were at the Ping Identity Summit to see that. And that was just 10 years ago. So it's good to know that it only took five years later for them to form this alliance and start to see the connection and actually work uh, rigorously on making this connection for enterprises and consumers. On the consumer side, I have a question, which is, you know, using Facebook and other things as our identities, that's one way they've tried to do that. But I found that to be a huge security risk because if you lose access to your Facebook account because someone hacked it, then they're going to go hack your Wayfair account and everything that it's tied to and write themselves gift cards and things like that. So we were looking at sort of a national framework many years ago where there would be a custodian of our consumer identities and that custodian would then get us farther and farther into the places we live online. Are you covering any of that in this group or is it mostly enterprise focused? So right now, our current focus is going from the identity vendors into the enterprise mm -hmm. because that's where the tools, controls, and processes are, are going to exist. Okay. Now, we do have a portion of what we do that does some consumer education, but mm -hmm. right now, consumers aren't our main audiences. And, and there are some other alliances that do focus more on consumer identity protection, mm -hmm. which is good. And, we, and more and more, we're going to be partnering with what they do. But the reason we focus on the identity vendors and enterprise for now is that without that framework and architecture and tool and common purpose in place, 
the consumer will never be able to have them even a modicum of control that they need and want. Yeah, that's how I feel too. I don't think Facebook has done a very good job of it, for example, because if you lose your Facebook account, you can't get back in. Meanwhile, the bad guys are helping themselves to every other account that's tied to your Facebook account. So that isn't working. On the enterprise side, back to Ping Identity Summit, um, the getting them to actually see that they are a security play. This is raising their visibility, as you said earlier, in the enterprise market. Is it relating to and translating to a closer zero trust architecture where it's needed based on what you have seen so far and what was discussed at your National Identity Day? So it's safe to say that we're lurching closer. <laughs> lurching, I trust. like that word. Good one. Um, but, but I want to make sure you know, zero trust wasn't the objective of Identity um, Management Day, because even though it's, a, it's an important component and we did have sessions and we talked about it, we also talked, for instance, about identity as a perimeter, which is a concept that people are now beginning to pick up on, similar to what you said, in that it used to be that the data center was the perimeter. And if you were outside the wall, you were outside the perimeter. And then it became the network was a perimeter. And if you're outside the network, you were outside of the enterprise. Both of those, although the walls haven't dissolved, both of those perimeters from a logical perspective are gone. Mm -hmm. So identity is now the new perimeter. And I'm not here to say it's going to be the ultimate one, but it is for the foreseeable future because of the, of the foundation. So we talked about that. We talked about zero trust. We, um, and there are a couple of sessions about integrating zero trust into what you do, only because it's so much in front of so many people. And I do want to say for those that are listening that either are thinking about zero trust or have a mandate to do something with zero trust, and you're listening to me for, for free, so the, the advice I'm giving is worth that. So you need to keep <laughs> in mind that zero trust is not, there is not a product, there's not a solution. There is no secret button. There's nothing that's going to work to say, hooray, I have zero trust. Zero trust is um, a framework, an architecture, um, and it's going to combine different components of what you do and what you buy. And in fact, most the successful zero trust implementations I've seen didn't buy many tools to do it. Good. So proof of identity. That's been all over the map through my whole career as a cybersecurity analyst and reporter and writer. And my question is, what does that consist of today? It used to be machine identity, passwords, uh, all kinds of other different authentication mechanisms. Um, how are we, what are we moving towards when it comes to proof of identity? It's gonna depend on the context. So something I've, I'm talking about this year, and um, when when we get together again, like when I, you know, when I see you next, I'll be talking about it again, and that there are three types of identities that everyone has to deal with right now. There's your carbon-based identity, which you have for your entire life, and proof of that identity to an external um, source could is very likely going to be either a government-issued ID, some sort of biometrics or regist trusted registration with a third-party entity. Okay. Right? So th those are pretty much the three you're going to see there. Another sort of identity that we deal with is machine identity. Mm -hmm. And that can come through a MAC address, or it could come through a serial number on a chip. 
Um, there's a number of things. In fact, there's every webcam, your iPhone has every chip inside your phone has a silicon-based identity. So think of how many billions of silicon-based identities there are out there. Wow. Okay. And stay, stay with me for a minute. You associate yourself with a select subset of those silicon-based identities, those machine identities. And you do that through an, an artificial identity. As in, you create an account on the phone that you log into, and then you may add biometric authentication. Keep in mind, you're still the source of truth for that. But after all that happens, you can authenticate, you associate your carbon-based identity with the silicon-based identities there. No one else can do that right now. Do that artificial identity. So where I think the next big challenge is going to be for us is not in zero trust, even though that is a challenge. It's going to be how and when do you disassociate your, yourself from those silicon-based identities. When you get rid of your phone, you sell it, you give it to your nephew. Whatever you do with your phone, everyone thinks, oh, I'll just wipe it and everything's fine. Are you certain that all the associations, you your carbon-based identity had with those silicon-based identities are gone for good. There's no traces of it. And how about all the devices that you log into that you don't directly control, that you can't necessarily wipe? How do you disassociate that? I think a lot of those orphan connections mm -hmm. are going to be a challenge for us coming going forward because there are so many machine and silicon-based identities out there. That's interesting. And then you had a third type of identity. So carbon-based, Silicon-based, machine-slash-silicon-based. Yep, and artificial. Oh, okay. And the artificial That's... identity is you is what's usually what used to associate. Okay. okay, that was three points. Okay, <laughs> so orphan connections, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm running into a big problem. I've had an email address using my last name as the extension for 20-some years, and my provider just lost that domain. So I have to get everything tied to that email address, change to an, an email address where I now own the domain, but it's a different extension. So it was at radcliffe.com. It will be at devradcliffe.com. I have till July to make that switch over. And I'm freaking out about all my accounts and about the fact that I'm a security professional and someone owns the Radcliffe domain who knows what they're going to do with it. I bought up Dev Radcliffe and all versions of that a long time ago, but the Radcliffe domain was not available because Hover owned it, or at least I thought. Now Hover doesn't own it anymore, nor does Two Cows, and now I can't go back and scoop it up. It's gone. So that is going to be a disconnect that's going to be very painful from my I, my carbon identity, my machine identity, and my artificial identity, it's all tied together. And I'm sweating bullets thinking about how much of my life this is going to take to make the changeover. Well, I'm sorry to have brought up what is clearly a painful part of, of your uh, identity, your your digital identity. But unfortunately, you, you are you that is a a perfect example of exactly what I'm talking about, the disassociation that has to occur is not going to be as easy as people think it is. I am sorry to hear that you're going to have to go through this. Everyone needs to take a little lesson from that because at some point, someone's going to have some at a different scale, some version of that problem. And even when you solved everything for yourself, you still need to find an effective way to let everyone else, else know what change occurred. And that Radcliffe.com is no longer you. There are so many components to that. 
I know. Hover says that they're going to go ahead and forward my mail for a while, but we'll see how that works. Mm -hmm. So um, I feel for you, but uh, everyone should listen to that carefully. Yeah, exactly. And there was no way I could buy up the .radcliffe.com domain because it was already owned when I started out on this journey. So that was mm. part of the problem. Um, let's move on to government and identity. So the national security strategy, its objective 4.5 is to quote unquote, support development of a digital identity ecosystem. That's something you sort of mentioned earlier, but can you talk about that and maybe how IDSA is already working in support of that or looking forward towards that? Uh, well, one thing we're doing, with a, we have a, um, a subcommittee working within IDSA right now on mapping 800-63, which is the digital identity standard, Okay. to to other frameworks that exist. We're starting with that because we always feel you have to start with the fundamentals. Don't jump to your solution. Don't jump to a product. Figure okay. out what you're already doing, map what you need to do to that, and then you can come up with now what needs to be done. Um, honestly, we're in the early stage of that. That's going to be published, I imagine, within the next quarter, uh, the, the document that we have. And um, we will make that known. We'll advertise that um, on our website and, other, and, and in social. So it's a bit early for us to say, boy, here's what the outcome of that's going to be. I think the challenge for this ecosystem is going to be there is no single authoritative source. And as much as it may like to lean towards a government, the government should be, a, in the U.S. anyways, should be a central authoritative source for that. There are far too many entities um, that deal in the U.S. that aren't going to accept that. So it's either a very, very long haul to get everyone on board or find a way other than that to try to, to, to get that ecosystem all driving in the same direction. So I'm certainly not, I, I mean, the, 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 um, the, the fact that this was published is wonderful. Mm -hmm. And the strategy has been needed for how many decades? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm glad we're here right now. It is the right next step. There are it, there are a lot of steep hills to climb to get to where we need to be with that. We are starting our journey on it. And, and I, I imagine most people aren't much further along than that if they've started at all. Only because most people don't recognize what does that digital identity ecosystem really mean to them? We just described a couple of examples. You just talked about one. How would we document what to do with your digital identity that's been associated with a domain name and website and email and everything else that has to change? Yep. There, there's, there's no provision for that in there. So let's all, let's all get on the journey together. And IDSA really wants to be one of the leaders. And I feel we will be the leader to help get us all on that journey. So pushback of the government taking uh, a lead in this or becoming the central uh, repository for identities, isn't how is that different than our social security numbers and our driver's license or state identifications? So I, I would offer the difference might be social security in particular, and keep in mind your social security number is not an identification, even though it is an it ID. It's become that, yeah. accept that, yes. But um, the social security number, it 
its main purpose is to allow for identification and authentication. Uh, I'm using air quotes with that to use government benefits. So it makes perfect sense for the government to issue and maintain that. From a driver's license perspective, the state in which you reside controls the um, traffic laws and ordinances and enforcement of that. So it makes sense for them to issue the um, identification, which becomes authentication for that system. And because of the level of trust that exists there, others will use that as a proof of identity. Whereas you don't see that happening with a social security number. So anything that a government issues with a picture can often, but not always, be used as proof of identity. As an example, some states refuse to, to acknowledge a state-issued um, identification with the photograph for voter identification. That list may be shorter. So we're already seeing discrepancies in how well is that accepted. Now, bring that to a federal level. If the federal government were to say, we're going to be the repository of all identifying information for either U.S. residents or U.S. citizens, if you just want to go to a subset of that, and maybe U.S. citizens that don't reside in the U.S., then what information should they keep? How is it going to be used? And when you take the large bureaucracy that is the U.S. government and overlay that onto a source of trust for every individual that either resides in or is a citizen of the U.S., what infrastructure are you going to need in order to make that happen? I'm not a naysayer on it right now. I just don't see it, though. Also, there is the obvious privacy concerns and the big brother watching you concerns as well that I would um, think people would push back against. I would agree, but I think whenever you have any centralized identification database, that will be the case, whether it's them or a large software provider or a cloud provider. I, I think the level of trust is going to vary depending on who your audience is and what their history is. Mm-hmm. So a little bit back to the carbon-based identity. This wasn't in my original list of questions I wanted to ask you, but I've been doing a lot of research on ChatGPT and other AIs that are making it easy now to create fake personas, fake voices that sound really real just by copying clips off the internet of a real person. Uh, ditto with facial expressions. Um, is that on your radar for... Uh, research and um, investigation into the identity ecosystem and identity being used as part of access and um, authentication into enterprise systems? So I believe we've had one webinar on that topic. I, I'm, okay. I'm shooting off the top of my head. So I, I believe we've had one on this though. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually recently wrote an, um, an article on uh, hiring and AI. Uh -huh. As in, it does the job that you're going for and the individual that you're interacting with exist, or it does a candidate that you're pursuing exist mm -hmm. in carbon-based reality? Yeah, right? yeah. So yeah, we have to have the frame of reference now. And I think, first of all, I, I'm a strong proponent of new technology, including AI. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's something that right now is kind of come out of the chute and is a bit uncontrolled. Yeah, but it also there's there's a lot more force and vector on how um, AI is being used in that in that sense. 
I think that's going to come under control. I think you're seeing some large organizations say we need a 30-day or a six-month hiatus on building new AI until we get the guardrails in place. Yes, This is not very different than the sort of cries we heard. And, and Deb, I'm going to um, date you, even though no one's seeing either of us. Mm-hmm. But this is the same sort of cries I heard when um, um, decentralized servers became available and it was no longer on the mainframe. These are the same sort of cries I heard when um, it, it was client server. It was it was the name for that one. And I remember telling someone that said client server will never happen to any company I work. Mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> the first thing I say was, well, good luck in your next job. And second <laughs> of all, you're going to have to remove that reverse imprint of a front of a train from your face because you're standing on the tracks right in front of someone and it's going to happen. And it's the same thing that happened with PCs and it's the same sort of cries I heard with cloud computing. I remember 10 years ago, I was still hearing cloud's a fad. This will never happen. Who could ever make this work, right? Everything we're doing right now, we're using the cloud. Mm-hmm. Every time you use your phone, you use the cloud. So I, I think that's past. I think this is going to go through that same sort of maturation phase. This one, um, it can be a bit more scary because now you're truly saying, who do I trust? But there are tools out there that can help detect when you think it's fake. And if you're ever in doubt, you know, I always found that whenever you have a doubt about a new level of technology, drop down one level and use that, as in call the individual that you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Don't schedule it and see what you can do with it with an ad hoc conversation. Ask for a reference and, and talk to another person. Find someone you know that may have known that person. You're dropping down levels of technology, but they all work to validate what you're doing with AI. And I still think AI is going to be a great tool and everyone's going to be using it. And 10 years from now, people are will forget that they were so afraid of it. I'm tempted to throw in the concept of my cyber thriller series, maybe book one, and see if it spits out the same thing that I wrote in the book or if it does something completely different. But I'm not going to do that. But I'm tempted to every once in a while. I think, oh, let me test and see if it could write my book better than I did, you know. But I'm not ready to find the results of that out yet, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Um, That's a different conversation. But um, back to your organization. So you guys are doing a lot of good work there. You've been around for, say, five years, you're saying? Okay. Um, Yeah, yes, correct. How uh, how should people get involved in your organization and why? Since it's a nonprofit, I'm guessing you've got some needs that need filling by other experts such as yourself who can come in and provide guidance, work on um, any kind of programs that you're getting off the ground, um, standards. Uh, how can they get involved and where and why? So, so first of all, I'm going to start with the why, all right? I, because and and then the how it would make more sense. The why everyone should want to be involved is you, un, unless you are ready to unplug celery device you have and move to the jungle, you are in that big digital identity ecosystem that we just talked about. And the best way for you to know what's going on there and help protect yourself and do things right are to see what tools, frameworks are out there and what the people that are really influencing this are thinking and producing. So every individual can just go to idsalliance.org, I-D-S-A-L-L-I-A-N-C-E.org, 
and go through any blogs we publish, any papers we've had, and all the webinars we've had in the past. That's available to everyone. And, and these webinars, by the way, are vendor agnostic. Even though a lot of them are delivered by vendors, it's thought leadership. It's not, you know, here's my product and, and what it'll do. So I'd start there and you can, and by the way, we have a, um, a, re, a content uh, library where you can just go in and enter whatever term you want and see what we have, whether it's a blog or paper or webinar on that topic. Okay. So that's where I'd have everyone start because we've already covered the why. Now to get more involved in simply taking advantage of some of the resources out there, we have different levels of membership. Now we are a nonprofit, but we still have expenses. So uh, different levels of membership um, do do come with a cost. There is a free membership where I just discussed where you can get access to resources. There is an individual contributor membership where you can work on one of those working groups that we have. And I won't get into prices here, but that that each of these I think are affordable at the right scale. Up from individual contributor, you can be a um, a, a company can become a corporate member, meaning you're you're not offering identity or security solutions, but you're consuming them as an enterprise. Um, and you can have individuals work on up to four working groups there. Plus, you know, you can be involved in um, some advertising we have. You can get our logo on your website, a bunch of best practices that you could follow. And then the next step up from there is vendor membership, where you're a vendor identity or uh, an identity vendor or a, a security vendor. And that you do all that as well. But you can also have the opportunity to do some of those webinars that I already mentioned get involved in sponsoring things like Identity Management Day and, and other benefits there. So that's, I believe, how and why everyone should want to be involved. Excellent. Well, as we wrap this up, is there anything you want to add that I forgot to ask? So I would offer, and thank you, this has been very well done, and I always appreciate my time with you. Let's remind everyone that everything you do is an identity and let's get rid of the dumb stuff, all right? As in, you use the same password for every site you log into. I'm sorry to say for people of you that that's a, you're not dumb, but what you're doing is dumb. Because as Deb mentioned, when one of those is compromised, all of them are compromised. So use a password manager, have a unique password. I have over 900 IDs and passwords. I don't know any of the passwords, not one of them. I let my password manager handle that for me. And I'd recommend that everyone take that perspective, take more control over your life and your identity, and you're going to sleep better because of it. Excellent. I want to thank you for your time. And to the audience, I hope this was informative to you. Tune in later for our next Side Beats podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Side Beat podcast with Deb Radcliffe part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share this channel and ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.